Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. Today we are reading from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was one of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the young Moabite woman, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under the wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some leftover. Then she rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that, that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. 
And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you, have, that, that you go out with this young, his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, leaning until the end of the, of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. There it is again. All right. Man, one of these days I'm going to come up here and not say the word all right. But today is not that day. Well, uh, Paul, thank you so much for your kind words um, uh, about <laughs> being a theologian. And the only thing I could think of when you said that is that my first line of this sermon is a Transformers joke uh, that I just don't, I don't want to say anymore. So we're just going to pretend that <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, but uh, we are continuing, as you guys see, our uh, sermon series on the book of Ruth. And it's this beautiful short story where there's more than meets the eye. That's the joke that I was going to do, but uh, a theologian wouldn't say that. But last week, we left Naomi and Ruth kind of essentially at rock bottom, right? That's a kind of where chapter one ends. And you saw that there was these kind of uh, beams of light that were kind of being shown in by God to Ruth. But, but she didn't quite see it, or not Ruth necessarily, but Naomi. But she couldn't see it because of her bitterness. Uh, and she was bitter because they, they'd lost pretty much everything. Right, Ruth and Naomi both, but really Naomi, she, she not only lost her, her husband, but she also lost her two sons. And, and not only that, but she's also in this, this foreign land, so she's not even with, with her people. And then Ruth, she has lost her husband. And at the end of chapter 1, she's also forfeited her home and her family back in Moab. And so you have these two destitute widows returning to Naomi's home in Bethlehem. And it's, it's not a, a pretty picture for them, especially in the eyes of Naomi. And I don't think that the mindset, at least for Naomi anyway, is that one, is one of that of those kind of aspirational movies where they, uh, there's like this air of optimism. They're going to this new place and they think they're going to you know, start life afresh and everything's going to be wonderful and everything is going to be great. I don't think that that's really what's going on, especially in the heart of Naomi. I think the atmosphere here, the one that we're, we're supposed to feel, is one of just survival. They're just trying to survive. These women aren't going to Bethlehem to really flourish. They're just hoping to make it by. But if you remember, all throughout chapter 1, like we just said, there are all of these little rays of blessings, these little rays of hope that are perforating the darkness. But though Naomi is, is in her bitterness blind to it, we're supposed to see that God is actually at work in her circumstances to bring a good that she wouldn't even be able to dream of, that she wouldn't even be able to, to imagine. And in chapter 2, in this next scene of the story, the blessings from God that will come through a man named Boaz will be so bright and so glorious that even Naomi will be forced to see it. But before we begin, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so glad that you have brought us here again this morning. Lord, we are a people from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of life circumstances, but I am so thankful that you have left us your word that speaks to each and every single one of us. 
And so, Lord, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit is our guide this morning. Lord, that we can set aside through your power the distractions of the world, God, the the assaults of the enemy, and that the things that you would have us learn this morning are just emblazoned on our heart by your Spirit. We pray this in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so I want to kind of break this sermon up into two halves this morning. And the reason I want to attempt to do this is because in this chapter, there are, there are really kind of three main characters, right? You've got, first you have Ruth, and then you have Boaz. But then kind of standing over the two uh, these characters, you have God who is kind of weaving their lives together. And so my hope is that you will see kind of the, the threads that God is using to bring these two people together and the grace that He is showing them. But I want to kind of break it up this way because I want us to first kind of look at Ruth and really look at her character. And then I want to kind of set her aside for a moment and then look at Boaz and, and see his character. And then finally, hopefully tying it all together, we're going to see how God is is moving and blessing Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. But we already kind of looked at Ruth a little bit last week, and we looked at her covenant love that she has for Naomi. But as we continue to unpack this story here in chapter 2, we really see a lot more of Ruth's character. Now remember that last week we said that when you look at Ruth, we're, we're to really kind of, kind of think of the church. She is a picture of the church and how the church is to, is to love Jesus, but also how the church is to love each other. Right? So when we, when we look at Ruth, just kind of have in the back of your mind that this is also a picture of the church. The way in which Ruth loves Naomi is how we ought to love one another. And we see that yet again with Ruth's action in taking care of Naomi. Take a look at verses 1 through 7 in chapter 2. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And so as these two widows get settled in Bethlehem. We, we learn that Naomi's husband that had died a little over 10 years ago has a relative named Boaz who owns several fields of grain, which means that he's a, a pretty well-off man. He has a lot of resources at his disposal. And we read in verse 2 that Ruth uh, the Moabite goes to Naomi and says, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after, in, after him in whose sight I shall find Favor. And so there's a couple of things that I think are worth noting here. And first, look how in verse 2 the author is reminding us that Ruth is a Moabite. 
right? That, that's something that we've heard like a thousand times, but the author decides to put it in there again. Ruth, hey, guess what? She's a Moabite, if you didn't know. And what the author is doing here is making sure that we are reminded again and again the extraordinarily difficult situation that Ruth is in. He wants to make that abundantly clear to us. She is a widow, and not only is she a widow, but she is a foreigner. Both of those things do not bode well for Ruth during this time. And yet, despite this, she goes to her mother-in-law and out of her great love for her, essentially says, let me go out and try to work for the both of us to bring us food from the field of Boaz. Now, in verse 2, it sounds like Ruth is, is pretty confident that she is going to find favor in Boaz's eyes. But the way that this is actually structured, she is essentially recognizing here that there's a real chance that she's not going to find favor. She's essentially saying that I hope that I find favor in the eyes of Boaz. There's a real chance, a real danger that because she's a foreigner, because she's a widow, because she's so vulnerable, because of all of these things that are stacked against Ruth, she may be completely rejected and told to leave the field. And then verse 2 ends with Naomi saying, Go, my daughter. And just a quick aside, there's, there's no real reason why Naomi can't go either. We're not really told why she doesn't join Ruth. And maybe it's because uh, maybe she injured herself on the way to Bethlehem. Uh, maybe she's working in another field. We don't really know, but, but personally, I, th I think it's because of her bitterness. I think she views her entire situation as completely hopeless, that there's no real point of, of doing anything, and it's, it's rendered her immobile. But regardless, we see Ruth's love for Naomi, and not chastising her, not saying, well, you need to come with me or anything like that, but lovingly going out and taking initiative to provide care for her mother-in-law. And next, and this is very much related to what we just spoke of, but I believe that the author really wants us to admire Ruth for how hard of a worker she is. She is by no stretch of the imagination a, a lazy woman, not by, not by a long shot. We see in verse 3 that after Naomi tells her to go and work in the field, she sets out and she gleans in the field after the reapers. Now, gleaning simply means gathering the leftover grain that would be lying on the ground after the harvester. harvesters kind of did their work. And by the law, they were allowed to do this. They were allowed to go in these fields and, and pick up the leftover grain. The Old Testament gleaning laws were actually meant to convey God's loving kindness through His covenant people of Israel to the vulnerable people in Canaan. And so if you take a look at Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22, you'll find a law that actually prohibits farmers from returning to their fields after harvesting to collect what was left over. And instead, it instructs them to allow these leftovers, this, this excess grain, to be gathered by people who don't have legal access to the land. So this would include foreigners. It would include uh, people who have just kind of taken up residence in the land. It would include the fatherless. And it would include widows. And so this is what Ruth is doing. She is going to these fields after the harvesters do their pass through it and is gathering what is left over. And we see that as she is doing this, she eventually crosses over into some fields that belong to Boaz. 
And in verse 4 through 6, Boaz then, kind of, kind of from a distance, sees Ruth and he asks a young man who is in charge of all the reapers of his field who she's it, whose she's is. Whose she is. That's a hard thing to say. And the young man answered, and she said that she is the young Moabite woman who had come back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And, and he relates to Boaz how hard she has been working. He, he talks about her hard work. He says that even at the end of verse 7, that she had been working from early morning until now, and she's only taken just one really short break. So she's a hard worker. And then if you jump down to verse 17, you see that she continues to glean in the field until evening. And then even after that, she has to then beat out what she has gleaned in order to get the grain. And then after all of that is over, she then has to take what she has gleaned and take it all the way back to the city where her mother-in-law is. And so the author really wants us to be impressed with Ruth. We are to be impressed with her work ethic, how hard of a worker she is, how hard she is working for Naomi. And you know, it's, it's really easy, right, to say that you love someone. The, the words that come out of your mouth are, are, are pretty easy to say. And it's really easy to even say that you want to care for someone, right? But it's another thing to actually go out and, and, and do it to make the sacrifice and, and do the hard work. But the love that Ruth had for Naomi, friends, it wasn't just, wasn't just talk. And so she put in the work to not just take care of herself, which that would have been a lot easier, right? She wouldn't have had to work for near as long in this hot and arid field. But she went through all of the difficulties of working in that field for as long as she did so that she could also care for Naomi. And this is a really humbling picture for us to see as the church. Because again, remember, Ruth is exemplifying the type of love that we are to have for each other, right? And this is the love that I've spoken of before, and I may have even mentioned it to you personally, but this is the love that Paul talks about in Galatians 6, is it not? Paul in Galatians 6 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And Paul is calling the church to actually take the burdens, take the difficult situations, the hurts, the pains, the brokenheartedness that we find our brothers and sisters in and actually place them on our own shoulders. Now, when you, when you, when you take a backpack off of somebody, when you see someone who's, who's walking down the street, they've got this heavy backpack on that's full of, full of books or, or something else, heavy bricks for some reason maybe, and you put that backpack on yourself, does that... Does that backpack magically become weightless? No, not at all. Of course not. You feel the weight of that backpack on your own shoulders. And that's exactly the picture that Paul is giving us here. When we talk about bearing each other's burdens, it sounds really nice and flowery, right, when we, when we first speak it. But we sometimes fail to recognize that when we bear each other's burdens, it's not meant to be an easy thing for us. In bearing each other's burdens, we are called to do more than just give each other pats on the back and empty promises that, that you know, we'll be praying for you, bud. We are called into action to alleviate the burden on someone else's shoulders and place it on our own. That's how we show the love of Christ to one another, and this is how Ruth is showing her love to Naomi. 
And so, yes, Ruth, Ruth is an extraordinarily hard worker, and we should be absolutely impressed by that, but let us not lose sight of why she is working so hard. It is to show that love that we are to show to one another for Naomi. That is what's going on here. And the last thing that I want to just briefly mention regarding the character of Ruth is simply her humbleness. Throughout this entire scene, we see her humbleness displayed again and again. And one Bible scholar sums it up, and I'll just leave it at this, by saying, Ruth knows how to take initiative without being presumptuous. In verse 7, the servants report to Boaz how she has how she had approached them that morning. She had said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She does not demand a handout. She does not presume the right even to glean. All she wants to do is gather up the leftovers after the reapers are done, and she asks for permission to even do that. She is like another foreign woman who came to Jesus and said, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. To which Jesus responded by extolling her faith. Ruth knows how to take initiative, but she is not pushy or presumptuous, but meek and humble. So that is Ruth. She is a woman of great character, a woman who we should seek to emulate. But then we are introduced to Boaz in the very first verse of the chapter, actually. And we learn that he is a relative of Elimelech's. And this relationship will be important a little later in the story. But in verse 1, we also get a little snippet of Boaz's character, who he is as a person. And we are told that he is a worthy man. He's a worthy man. Now the word for worthy here is the word gibor. And it means what we typically think of as kind of like a valiant knight. That's the picture here. He is strong, a valiant knight. Yeah, like in medieval times, that kind of, that kind of night. So he is, he is valiant, he is, he is strong, he is noble, he's, he's courageous and exemplary. That is, that is what the word Gabor conveys, and that's the type of man that we are to think of when we think of Boaz. But we see that not only is Boaz noble, not only is he, is he Gabor, but he is also a godly man. He's also a godly man. In verse 4, we read, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Now this is, is kind of a throwaway line, it seems, but I believe it's in here for a purpose. I believe that the author has included this interchange so that we can immediately tell that Boaz honors the Lord in his work and is respected by his workers. We're to see that he is a God-saturated man, and so he greets his workers with God. These aren't just platitudes he's spouting. He actually means it. When he tells them, the Lord be with you, he actually means it. He wants the Lord to be with his workers. You know, how often do people in church just spout these platitudes without actually meaning them? We, we, we said one before. I'm praying for you, buddy. How many times have we said that to people and not actually follow through with praying for the person? So this was not just a man who, who just said these, these godly things, but he meant them in his heart. He wanted God to be with his workers. 
Boaz is a noble and godly man whose love for the Lord influenced all that he did, including his treatment of his workers. It, it permeated his whole life. And as we saw before, as Boaz looks into the fields, he sees an unfamiliar face. In verses 5 through 7, he asked the young man in charge of the reapers the identity of this woman who's out there working in his fields. Now, by his response, it sounds like Naomi's situation is actually fairly well known to everyone in Bethlehem, including Boaz. You see, that yet the young man didn't actually need to explain who Naomi is or, or even the fact that she came back with the Moabite woman. This young man just essentially just said like, hey, that's that Moabite woman. That's, that's who that is. And knowing the desperate situation of Naomi, because he, he already knows who she is, he already knows what, what's been going on, he knows that she was, she was in a foreign land, and she knows that she's come back with Ruth, and so knowing the desperate situation of Naomi and Ruth, we read this in verses 8 and 9. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men to not touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So Boaz here is actually going above and beyond what Ruth expected when she asked to glean in his fields. And he tells her not to leave his fields, to sit close to the other women who are gleaning, and to quench her thirst with the water that the men had drawn up from the well. Essentially, he is offering this destitute foreign woman safety and security that she never thought that she would, she would have. Not only this, but he continues to far exceed what the law in Deuteronomy 24 required of him. And in verse 14, we read, that at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And so rather than leave Ruth kind of at a distance at mealtime, as she would have expected, he actually invites her to draw near. He doesn't just leave her out in the field to, to kind of fend for herself. He, he invites her to come close. And though Ruth had probably brought little to nothing to eat with her, Boaz provides her a share of his own food. And so for possibly the, the first time in a long time, she was able to actually eat until she was full. And sometimes for, for us, the joy of having enough to eat can be a, a hard concept for us to grab in our, in, our, in our culture of abundance. But for this foreign widow to be able to eat to the point where she was full and still have some left over to take home was, was a luxury that she was probably not accustomed to right now. We then read in verses 15 through 17 that Boaz even commanded his men to be deliberately careless. Do you notice that? He wants them to be deliberately careless in their harvesting so that Ruth would have an abundance to carry home with her. How amazing is that? 
Have you ever thought about telling your workers, if you're, if you're, if you're ever a manager or anything like that, to be pur- purposefully lazy in what you're doing so that others could benefit from it? It's amazing. The verses read, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the evening, uh, in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an ephah of barley. So this treatment of Ruth was above and beyond what the law required of Boaz. And not only that, but it actually came at personal cost to him. It came at a personal cost. He was giving to her what was rightfully his by law. You know, Deuteronomy didn't say anything about being carelessly lazy or, or giving anything in excess. But friends, what we should see here in Boaz's action towards Ruth is that he was a man who rightly understood that all that he had, first and foremost, belonged not to him but to the Lord, right? He understood that, that rather than being the owner of the fields, he was simply its steward. One commentator says it this way, or says it this way. While Boaz takes responsibility as a man in authority over his fields, he does so in light of his more fundamental identity as a man under authority, who must righteously manage what the Lord entrusts him according to covenantal priorities. Boaz understands that his privileges originate in God's unmerited favor. God's generosity always provides the foundation, power, and pattern for his people's generosity. In other words, brothers and sisters, the treatment of Ruth by Boaz was actually motivated by what he knows to be true about God, right? He knows that the God of Scripture is a good and kind and loving God. And he knows that the laws given to the Israelites that speak to taking care of the foreigner and the fatherless and the widowed are reflections of God's loving character. And in his desire to imitate that love of God, he goes above and beyond what the law requires of him in his dealing with the widowed foreigner from Moab. He was motivated by the character of God. And friends, what a a beautiful picture this is for us to imitate as well, right? Because, Because Christian, how we treat others is often, if not always, an indicator of how well we ourselves know the character of God. How much we know God Himself. I mean, do we, do we take pleasure in the good of our neighbor? Is that something that brings us joy? Do we go out of our way to show them loving kindness and care for them even when it means it comes at our own personal expense? I mean, do we show glad, humble generosity? And I don't just mean financially, but with, your, but with your time and with your other resources. When we look at the, the hurting and the broken people around us, both inside and outside the church, are our hearts motivated, like Boaz, to loving action because we want to be images of the loving character of God. You see, when we recognize the good character of our good God, And when we believers recognize our roles as ambassadors of Christ, as the book of Hebrews tells us, we will recognize that we are to be loving and sacrificial in that love. 
We're not meant to be just all talk. So that is the character of Boaz, a godly man who shows loving kindness. Now I want us to jump back just a little bit. Because as Boaz is showing all of this kindness to Ruth, she is, she's absolutely awestruck and, and humbled by it. She, she can't believe what is going on right now. And in verse 10, we see that she falls to her face and bows to the ground as low as she can get. And she asks him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a, a foreigner, someone not of this land? And Boaz's answer to this question from Ruth is, is really beautiful. And here's where we really begin to, to see God's work come to the foreground in the story, even though it's there the entire time. Look at what he says. Look at what Boaz says in verses 11 through 12. He says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, a commentary that I read as I was studying for this passage put all this well, so I'm, I'm kind of taking its lead on this. But, but notice how Boaz says in verse 12 that God, that God is really the one who is rewarding Ruth for her love to Naomi. It's not, it's, not, it's not Boaz. It's God. The Lord repay you. A full reward will be given to you by, by who? The Lord. Boaz recognizes that he is only the instrument of God being used to bless Ruth. But friends, I also want you to notice the words, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I really want you to pay attention to that last line, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Now, I believe this verse is, is not necessarily encouraging us to picture Ruth having to work, having to do the work of taking care of Naomi in order to receive the blessing of God. I don't think this is a, a kind of a, a works righteousness kind of situation here. Almost like Ruth is God's employee and her hard work of taking care of Naomi is, is repaid by God in the wages of blessings that he's giving to her. I don't think that's necessarily what we're supposed to see. But I believe that the picture that we're really meant to see is, is a bit different than that. The main picture that we're meant to see here is of God as a, as a great winged eagle, right? And Ruth has come to him looking for safety under his wings. That's, that's the main picture. And here's where we really see the character of God shining forth in this passage. Because the implication of verse 12 is that God will reward Ruth, not primarily due to her diligence in taking care of Naomi, but because of the simple fact that she has sought refuge under his wings. And I think this is, this is a common teaching all throughout the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 57.1 says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you, for in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Notice the word for. Be merciful to me, for in you, my soul takes refuge. 
Not, not for I do all these wonderful things for you. For I'm a good person. For this or that. But it's just for the simple fact that my soul takes refuge in you. Why should the Lord be merciful to the psalmist? For he has taken refuge in him. Likewise, why should God be merciful to Ruth? Because she has sought refuge under his wings. She has chosen God's protection even above the protection of her family, of the false idols that she used to worship, of her home country of Moab. She has chosen God. She has placed all of her hope and all of her trust in the Lord, which enabled her to leave her father and mother, to leave her home of Moab and lovingly follow Naomi to Israel. I believe we can, we can miss that trust that Ruth has in the Lord in the, in the entire narrative of Ruth. I think we can sometimes just kind of gloss over it. I believe that we sometimes, when reading this book, only really focus on, on Ruth's relationship with Naomi or even Ruth's relationship with Boaz, and we miss that Ruth's words in chapter 1 were not empty words that Naomi's God would be her own. Those weren't empty words. Ruth's faith in God is a robust and true faith. And she has come to take shelter under the wings of God Almighty. And the Lord, through Boaz, is blessing her because of it. And this is really the, the message of the Gospel, Right? It pleases God to take mercy on anyone, whether it be Jew or Gentile, Israelite, Moab, or anyone else, or Moabite rather, who humbles themselves and admits their desperate need for grace and seeks refuge in God. That is the essence of James 4, 6 through 10. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Man, what a Sunday morning message that is. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Now after Ruth is done with all of her work, and she brings everything back to Naomi, Naomi does something that you uh, wouldn't really expect of Naomi, knowing her thus far. And I really love this next part, because... We get to see actively this hard shell that has formed over her heart begin to be kind of chipped away. It's a beautiful thing. Look at verses 18 through 20. It says, And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Now, the way this last sentence of Naomi is phrased kind of causes some people to think that Naomi is saying that Boaz has not forsaken the living nor the dead. But in the Hebrew, and Zach, you're just going to have to trust me here, in the Hebrew, that does not really grammatically follow. And what Naomi is saying is that may he be blessed by the Lord, the Lord who has not forsaken the living and the dead. That's, that's how the structure is really set up. The Lord who has not forsaken the living or the dead. And this is Naomi talking right here. Friends, do you, do you see what is happening to her bitter heart? You see what's going on. The grace of God is breaking through and finally opening her eyes to the wonderful truth that the Lord never forsakes those who are His, whether in, whether in this life or the next. Her bitterness, which, has, which had hardened and deepened under what she saw as the lashes of God's judgment, at last begin to melt when she's brought face to face with an undeniable experience of His goodness and His grace. And she began to recognize that contrary to what she had thought earlier, the Lord had not stopped showing His covenant faithfulness, faithfulness to, to her and Ruth. And friends, this is the same covenantal faithfulness that He shows to all who are in Christ Jesus. There, there may be moments where you feel like the, the hand of the Lord has gone against you, where you feel like His, his covenant loving kindness has, has been removed from you. But friends, that is not the case at all. Naomi then adds at the end of verse 20 that Boaz, a close relative of ours, one of our, is one of our redeemers. And a redeemer in this context is a close male relative who, among other things, would act on behalf of a family member in financial difficulty. But what is so amazing, and we will get more into this next week, I believe, but what is so amazing is that the law of God, again, given, to, uh, given by God in regards to this kinsman redeemer found in Leviticus 25, it doesn't really say anything about this specific situation about the situation of Ruth and Naomi. And without getting into all of the details, there are essentially a million loopholes that Boaz could have taken to get out of caring for Ruth and Naomi. He, there's, there's a thousand other things that he could have done rather than what he did do. And the way that, and the way that he will continue to take care of them. He didn't have to do it. And brothers and sisters, this... This going beyond the law, going beyond what he had to do and fulfilling the role of Redeemer, like Paul was saying earlier, is meant to cast our eyes to our own Redeemer. This is meant to cast our eyes to Christ Jesus. Friends, just like Boaz, there was absolutely nothing obligating Jesus to come and pay the deadly cost of our sins in order to redeem us for himself. It was simply out of His mercy and grace that He, he chose to come. Chose to, to humble Himself, to, to, to make Himself into the suffering servant and save us from the wrath of God. He didn't have to do it. Not at all. And so in Boaz, we are seeing the loving kindness of our own kinsman Redeemer. And friends, this, this Redeemer who had who has committed himself to be with us in the midst of our trials. He knows what it is to suffer. And as a result, he is able to be our refuge in the storm, the one under whose wings we may come to take shelter. 
He is our Redeemer from and through all kinds of difficulties. And so, friends, follow the path that He has set before you. Holding firmly to your faith and having joy in knowing that His covenant covenant faithfulness will never leave you nor forsake you. Friends, His his faithfulness never ceases. Never. His mercies never come to an end. They, They are new every morning. And will accompany us every step along the hard road of life until our faithful God welcomes us into our heavenly home. Now our passage ends with Ruth continuing her work in the fields of Boaz and living with her mother-in-law. And we will pick up the narrative there in chapter 3 next week. Please pray with me. Lord, we again are so thankful, God, for your covenant faithfulness to us. Lord, even though we experience hardships and pains and trials in our lives that, that can turn our hearts bitter towards you, Lord, you are always faithful to us. Lord, you never cease to pour out your love and blessing on us, even if it's not in the ways that, that sometimes we desire, God. But we thank you so much that there is a blessed truth in the fact that even in the darkest night, even in the most terrible storms of our lives, God, you are working a good in us and for us, Lord. And God, those things will not be worth comparing to the weight of glory that you are keeping safe for us. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.